Hey, what's up, folks? Lifetime Longhorn Rod Davis, along with fellow Lifetime Longhorn and football theorist over at Inside Texas, but also for On Texas Football as well. And he's the author of uh, America's War Game over on Substack. Trust me, you want to check that out. He is the one and only Ian Boyd. What's going on, Ian? How you doing, brother? Doing good. I'm recovering from some uh, <laughs> leftover Kit Kat bars that I devoured after lunch. Oh, dude, I know the candy tax in your house, man. You got, you got, what, you got three of them and another one on the way. So you got a serious candy tax down there. I bet you there are all types of candy that you had to collect from the kids. You do it at the door and you allow them to keep their candy. That's the question. No. So what we do is they have like these bags and then they don't take them to school. They go to school and they leave them behind at home. <laughs> so they're at school. I finish my lunch and I'm like, uh, could go for a dessert right about now. Let's see what we got. And then I look <laughs> in their bags and I, you know, you try to keep it even. Yeah. You steal from all of them a little bit. Take a little bit from all of them. You know, good for you. You don't want one kid to feel picked on. You know what I mean? So they all evenly feel picked on. There you go. It's not like they have like an inventory. You know what? So, I, I would if I was a kid. I would know if somebody took my nerds. If my favorite candy, I definitely would t- put aside my favorite candy if I was a kid, just to make sure that because my think all all parents have a, a candy tax on Halloween. They go in there and start stealing the candy, man. I'd stash yeah. aside my best the Snickers and the nerds and the sweet tarts. I'd put those to the side. That's my jam. The, the <laughs> thing I got going for me is that uh, we don't have the same uh, favorites. Oh, that is good. So I go in there and I want the chocolate. I want the Snickers. I want three Musketeers if there's no Mm -hmm. Snickers, M&Ms. I like Skittles too. And they just don't, they don't have the same affinity for those classics. Man, hold on. What are these kids eating? What kind of candy are they eating then? Because those are, you just named like three of the like ones that should be on the Mount Rushmore. The younger ones, the younger ones like suckers, I think. Uh, are we talking about like like the sour stuff? Like we talking about like yeah, sour they, like, they like that, but they like just like the like lollipops yeah. and oh like, oh man, they're easy lollipops. Come on, they man. They, get... those. Like, they can have those. And then the older <laughs> one, the older one is just not really a candy nut. So man, good for the older one. Man, that'll save you a lot of money on dentist bills. Good for them. Appreciate that. Yeah, because I wasn't like that. I was a candy fiend. <laughs> and still am, by the way. Still am. Uh, all right. Enough about Halloween. Let's get right to it. Oh, speaking of Halloween, there's some scary things uh, potentially in store for Texas in this K-State game. The purple kryptonite, not what it used to be, because uh, since Tom Herman came around with, you know, uh, and, and Steve Sarkeesian, you know, you don't have to worry about K-State as much. Actually, Texas has the upper hand, seems like, in that matchup. Uh, first of all, before we get into it, what are your thoughts about that? Because I think it's a stylistic thing. I think it's a style thing that now at one point when I was playing, it was tough to get a win against K-State. I mean, that was that was a rarity. It was the exception and not the rule. And now it's flipped. I guess the Purple Kryptonites with TCU, we'll talk about them down the line. But why stop, Why is now Texas got the upper hand? Even Tom Herman was beating K-State. Yeah, I, mean, I think it was mostly like the 2010s where it was a huge problem. Yeah, you're right. And I feel like they – I put this on the board earlier. They they out toughed Max teams, and they out disciplined Charlie's teams. Love and it. we have a lot of issues with Tom Herman's Texas teams. Uh, obviously, he was fired after four seasons. <laughs> but they did not lack for toughness or discipline, in my opinion. I agree with that. Yeah, 
They were physical. Uh, they were very physical. Mm-hmm. Like, like the game, if the series flipped in 2017, like, um, and I think Herman put a lot in that game. And then they go in there and Sam Ellinger, freshman Sam Ellinger, literally like, you know. Yeah, bam, bam, Sam. Forearmed that dude yeah. to the surf. You're right. And that was like a major, you know. Shift. That's how it had gone. The other, It had gone the other way. Yeah. Jesse Ertz or Colin Klein running over a, a Texas guy. Um, so they flipped it. But uh, we'll see this year. This is the, this is probably the toughest matchup in this game that I've seen since probably, uh, probably the last time they lost in like 2016. I know, honestly, Ian, I thought last year was the year that for K State, for Chris Kleiman's K State team, right? You think about it, you had Deuce, um, the defense, you had, I remember asking Xavier Worthy, Hey, who's the toughest def- de- defensive back you've gone up against in the Big 12 last year? He said Julius Brents. He was like, oh, he, he was quick too. He was like, oh, anything about Julius Brents. Guy was a, he was long range. He was a good player at K State. They had Felix and Udike Uzoma, Deuce Vaughn. They also had two quarterbacks. They had Will Howard and a veteran, Adrian Martinez, and they were playing at home. That, that's why it's been really impressive what Sark has done. Because even, and going, so that to me, that was the year that K State was supposed to win and they didn't. Um, and then go back before that. Remember, they beat him with the Wildcat at home in 2021. Chris Kleiman brought that up at a recent press conference. He's like, yeah, that first damn year they beat us with no quarterback pretty much. I mean, he, it, that was a great that, – that was one of Sark's best coaching jobs of 2021. He, did, he, he had no real resources. He had injured quarterbacks, injured running backs. He's just like, you know what? What can we do well? Can we do anything well? And he's like, actually, we do the Wildcat pretty damn well. And he just went out there, and he was stubborn about it. Um, so I thought this year, Texas has more talent. Here's the thing. They have the quarterback advantage, which is rare just because Texas has the backup end. And it would be hard for, for anybody to argue that Texas has a coaching advantage because Chris Kleinman and what he's done winning the Big 12 championship. You might argue it's a draw or push, but you can't say Texas has the advantage there. Usually, Ian, those are the two categories you look at for, you know, who's going to have the advantage in a matchup. K-State has both of those, in my opinion, potentially. Definitely on quarterback. Um, maybe on coaching. I really like Kleiman, how he uh, game plans to matchups. Yeah. Like, he does a lot of Belichickian kind of things, like double your best receiver or um, – Drop, he does the deal where it's like drop against good offensive line, drop against good offensive lines and blitz bad ones. So like they went into TCU in the Big Twelve Championship last year, and TCU was a bunch of bullies up front, but they were bad in pass protection. It was like I called him a five guard lineup. <laughs> like everybody was a natural guard, and like the guards that were least terrible at tackle were tackle. Um, and Kansas State just brought five all day. And so there was always a one-on-one and somebody was always getting whooped. Mm-hmm. And it really, really screwed up. If if not for Max Duggan, just playing hero ball and scrambling and, and making whatever he could, Kansas State actually would have dominated that game. And it, it went into overtime, but it only went into overtime because Duggan was just doing wild stuff 
to keep TCU mm. on there. Yeah. So they are very, very good at that kind of deal where they're just like, they're always going to maximize their advantages. Um, Texas is pretty hit or miss, right? I feel like Sark generally does that pretty well. Uh, you know, sometimes we see Steve. But anyway, <laughs> yeah. like this, you're probably going to get Sark. Yeah. Yep. Big games. Yeah. PK and the defensive staff have been very hit or miss. That I agree with. I think it's because they're a little bit limited resources, uh, especially on the back end and maybe on the edges, and they can and that maybe that's you know really dictated some of the game plans. But I'm with you on that. Um, okay, so let's start. Let's start from let's start the quarterback position. That's what people want to talk about for Texas. So let's start there. Give me your thoughts about how you thought Malik Murphy performed in his first start with eight with career pass attempts going into that game versus BYU. What were your thoughts about what you saw from Malik? I, you know, I thought I saw some things that were extremely encouraging. And then you saw the two things that were like the last things you want to see. <laughs> mm, so like yeah. the read on the, on the ball he threw to Mitchell for a touchdown. Uh, the long one. Yeah. I thought it was really good. Like he knew what he was supposed to see. He saw it and he threw with anticipation. And I know he hung the ball up there for a minute. But he threw it, he led him up the field in the back of the end zone where you wouldn't get like the other safety robbing it from the other yeah, side. Agreed. So it was well-placed. It was very well-timed. Um, it hung in the air, so it looked more cont- contentious by the time the ball arrived than it did when he threw. But if you look at when he threw, like it took – it was it was a good job. And he had some other – he like had a dime over the middle to Sanders or breaking out from across yeah. the that's a good throw. Um, it was another one where it was like over the arm of the linebacker. So some people were like, oh, he's trying to throw a pick. And it's like, no, he's that was perfectly placed. Like, it's yeah. okay if the linebacker comes close gets, to it. Yeah. He put it where he needed to to make sure it was a catch. Um, he had some RPO reads that were pretty good. I liked him on the RPO game. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of things where, I mean, I wrote on Tuesday that I think he's better right now than Quinn Ewers was at any point in 2022. Ooh. Wow. At any point. Hmm. Maybe Quinn with like a month to get ready for a single yeah. game was a little yeah. better. Yeah. <laughs> right? Good point. But yeah. otherwise, no way. Malik right now is is not, I mean, I'm not saying he's going to be better than Quinn Ewers. No, but I, I get what you're saying. Quinn Ewers made an enormous leap. He's been really good this year. Um, the only thing that Quinn was better at that was such a concerning thing from this game was protecting the ball. Yeah, but he's, yeah. that can be tough for a young quarterback, obviously. I think Malik just has a little bit of that screw it, go for it kind of. Like he does not seem to want to take a sack. And that is just, you, you got to take the sack or throw it away, kill it, something. Um, both of the turnovers were like kind of understandable. And it's his first start. Yeah. So it's the blitz. The blitz was on the same. He just panicked. It was a panic. You, you can tell he panicked. He freaked out. And he was like, so, and even Sark said that was a miscommunication. Apparently, there was supposed to be a check down there. And yeah, there was, no, there was no receiver. Yeah. <laughs> Xavier Worthy was stock blocking down the field. Yeah. 
so. but still still you just got to you got to eat those yeah. uh, so, well i don't know maybe if he really thought there was a running back sitting there but he didn't see it so i guess he just trusted it but he didn't see it cuz there was no back there that's, that's the concerning part that's the thing he just kind of throws it and trusts yeah, that one was a go with God kind of throw. It's like, hey, I'm just going to trust. And it did not obviously work out for him. I, the fumble was do, – do you think that's more a little bit on Sark to put him under center? This is – I mean, this is an offense that's rarely under center. And when they're under center, they're doing a flea flicker or they're usually doing, you know, some failed quarterback short yardage play. But this is a team that doesn't go into center very often. That was an awkward – situation for a first-time quarterback not saying it's not he's, he's supposed to execute it so i'm saying it is his responsibility but maybe stark shouldn't put him in that situation in the red zone where texas already had issues major issues yeah they they gotta stop they gotta stop doing under center obvious stuff in the red zone it was they remember we talked about this where they went under center and they tried to run a sweep to wit on oklahoma yes and it's like yeah if you're Oklahoma, you're like, what are you under center for? <laughs> you know, like, what you under center? Hmm. What's it was the exact same problem both times where the defensive end was like, okay, it's a rollout or something, right? I'm going to race up field. They're not getting under center to run split zone and, no. trap and knock me out. No. Counter. They do that from the gun. If they're going under center, it's because they have some other BS they're doing. And so mm-hmm. both times, so this time Hayden Connor had to pull around. Oh, yeah. And block a defensive end. And the defensive end was already on the quarterback before Connor even got, got it. Was I was going to use it to illustrate Connor's shortcomings in the red zone because I do think he's been a problem down there. But when I watched it, I was like, that's not his fault. Like, it's a bad, bad call, right? No way. There's no yeah. way. So Sark's asking, basically asking some of those guys to do things that are outside of their capability at times. And maybe he just thinks that, you know, hey, these guys, he trusts them to execute stuff like that, but maybe he's a little too trusting. All right, so Malik's making his second start. That's already been uh, out there. Sark uh, confirmed that earlier this week that we will have Malik again. Are you expecting now consider the opponent? Let's talk about K-State now. Do you can do you do you think you're gonna see a leap, a a a big leap from start one to start two from for Malik, considering you're playing against K-State? And let's talk about what makes K-State so unique defensively. And people have been wanting us to talk about it for a while. The um the three high, three down defense, you call it the flyover defense. Is that your nickname for it? And you had, I would say, honestly, I learned a lot of it from reading your articles about it back in the day. You've been writing about it for a long time now. Uh, And now it seems to be more of a popular term. Some people just throw it out there and don't really know what it means and what it is. So for the people who are unfamiliar with it and people that want to break it down, please talk about what is the, the DNA of that particular defensive concept of flyover defense. Yeah. Um, yeah, you really set me up. I could do like an hour of history. I know you could. I know you could. That's what I'm saying. I just give you the floor and let you go. <laughs> so the, Mike Gundy put it really well in his press. I was listening to his Bedlam press conference the other day while picking up the kids from school. 
and I'm in like the long drive line. So I was like, oh, this. And uh, somebody was asking him why the Big 12 is so run game oriented now. And he said, well, it used to be everybody was in four down. And there was a lot of space to cover on the back end because you had four guys uh, committed to the trenches. And people, people would throw it around on you. Now everybody's playing three down. So offense has got to run. Okay. Simple. That's that's pretty much it. The flyover was <laughs> the flyover was invented because Big 12 defenses were getting wrecked. Torched. Torched. Mm-hmm. And it was with the RPOs and the spread formations and the spread play action. You could not stop all of a team's receivers and their run game with a plus one defender. Like somebody had to be one-on-one and somebody was getting just destroyed. Mm-hmm. And so Matt Campbell and his, and John Heacock at Iowa state realized that. And they're like, we cannot run with these teams with these Iowa state skill athletes. And so they so they played the flyover. They took a tackle off the field. They played three linebackers because they had lots of good linebackers, but it's like the linebackers were useless against the spread. Exactly. Well, they, they made them valuable by playing a lot of drop eight and playing with three deep safeties before every snap. And so they would either, so these flyover teams, they'd all take from Iowa state. They have these three deep safeties. So it's either they're playing a super conservative pass defense where there's a safety over the top of everybody, or they're presenting that encourage you to run. And then they're going to, they're going to stem. They're going to move the guys just before, just after the snap. Yep. into a more traditional alignment so that they can yep. outnumber the run. Matthew, go ahead and give us exhibit one. So exhibit one here is how Kansas State's flyover would line up against Texas if Texas was in like an 11 personnel setting with JT Sanders and Witt on the field. And the trick of this, the especially the way Kansas State plays it, is uh, – those inside linebackers, the Mike and Will linebacker, they're playing really hard downhill into the box because their defensive ends are both like 245 pounds. They're not yeah. big. And their nose tackle this year is not actually that good. So if they just tried to line up with three guys, they would get mauled by people. But they trigger those guys just into the box. Go. Aggressive. Go. The Mike linebacker is almost like a, a stand-up mm-hmm. technique. Yeah. Fast flow. Go. Every time. Oh, yep. Yeah. Um, and then the safeties come up and replace the linebackers at the second level. And they really want to tie down your offensive linemen so the safeties are unblocked and the ball spills. And then the running back can't find anything inside because the Mike linebacker is blowing it up. Like the Mike linebacker is in his face. Gaps are, gaps are closed. Gaps are closed, spilling outside, and now those safeties can come down and tackle, and it's a lot easier than if the running back's hitting them square. Um, Sometimes they get beat up in the run game a little bit, but because their safeties are making the tackles and there's three of them playing back, Mm. they can usually stop you before you get to the red zone. And then when they get to the red zone, they're awesome. Yeah. The field compresses. It's all the things we talked about. Yeah. And uh, and obviously Texas has struggled in the red zone anyway. Aside from going up against 
three, the three high, three down flower defense. My numbers, and unfortunately, I, I hate to bring this up for Longhorn fans. When I track yards per attempt, passing yards, third down percentage, touchdown interception ratio, points per game, they all drop. They all drop when Sark's offenses face a three high, three down defense, a team that majors or minors in it, as opposed to another type of uh, defensive identity, uh, whether they be they play single high or play two high. And I love what you what you broke down. The it's almost like it's um they could actually the three high defense, they can actually utilize it as a new defensive coverage, or it's just a disguise for traditional coverage. It's both. He was like, so is it a defensive presentation or is it a coverage? It's it's actually a little bit of both. They use it in both ways, which makes it even more confusing to try to process. So they're, this, they're, go ahead. Let me just say they're 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 built for offenses like Sarks. They're like, we're not gonna give you the shot play where your quarterback knows where he's throwing pretty much yep. on a play action. Predetermined. We're either taking it away or we're gonna confuse him. And we're going to make you execute in the red zone, which I don't think all of Sark's offenses are necessarily vulnerable to the red zone, but he, he loves to draw up ways to score and create explosive plays. Mm -hmm. And this Texas team is really good at that and really bad at not that. (laughs) And so the flyover really is like a perfect foil for that style. Cause they know that that's, that's like modern offense, and they know that that's what really kills you. Which so is why it was, it, was, it was created for that purpose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and, the, and one of the things about the RPO, it matches up well with RPO-based offenses too because it can distort the pre-snap read for the quarterback in terms of the box count. You're counting the numbers in the box. If you got the advantage and the numbers in the box, you hand it off. If not, then you're going to throw it to the tag the quarterback can often get that that is that accurate uh just get that uh, count wrong about how accurate they are because they're moving it's a very malleable shifting uh defensive presentation so give me your thoughts about how what's the antidote because i have my thoughts and i was actually watching the missouri uh game and also that oklahoma state game missouri beat Kansas State by throwing the football, and they chunked it a ton. Man, they got some good athletes at wide receiver, too. Um, but Oklahoma State did it differently. Uh, they ran the football. Ali Gordon might be one of the best running backs in the country. Uh, he and Jonathan Brooks, two best running backs in the Big 12, and they just ran it down their throat. But they both used a lot of three-by-one sets, a ton of three-by-one sets, which actually kind of gets me to what my theory is, and you know more about the flyover than anybody. So let me know if my theory actually holds any more. Oh. I, whenever I, I like to, I like to copy your phrasing for your theory that you're about to present. I think your explanation of this is as good as any I've seen. So you go. Oh, good. Then I, I say, I, and I got to test you, test it out on you. Cause I, like I said, I trust your knowledge in the flower more than anybody else's. So one of the real strengths, unique strengths of the flyover defense is its ability to distort and disguise. It is just, it's really tough for quarterbacks to to for to have accurate indicators with their pre-snap reads because of how malleable it is. You talked about how it shifts all the time. And even in the with the run game in run fits, 
you've talked about how they come from different angles, bring the safeties down from different angles. And you talked about the second level of the flyover and how, yeah, they may be light in the box traditionally, but that doesn't mean they're light in the fit because they bring those safeties down depending on how they want to play the run game. That can make it tough on offensive uh, linemen, also, also on offensive uh, players, period, who don't really know exactly where their blocking responsibilities are going to be. They're blocking assignments to be assignment sound. That's one of the beauties of the flyover defense. It is really confusing for opposing offenses. But one of the things you can do, and I've noticed this about offenses, if you're extreme, if you can be extreme in your presentation offensively, in terms of your personnel groupings, in terms of your formations, why the three-by-one set works really well, you can force them to abandon their pre-snap shell disguise. Uh, it will abandon, the three-high the, the three will abandon its distortion pre-snap and it will get to their alignment and their assignment. The players have to, to be alignment sound and be assignment sound. They have to get to their alignment. So, but you have to be extreme. If you're somewhat balanced then you allow them to still be able to disguise and distort. But if you're extreme, that's why empty formation, strangely enough, and Missouri did a lot of it, by the way, empty formation works really well. If your quarterback uh, is, is comfortable with the speed, the internal clock being sped up of the empty formation, because nobody, Nobody has pre-snap show disguise against empty formation. It's suicide, right? You get to your alignment assignment right away because the play is going to happen real quick. It's going to be a quick hitter, and you could end up giving up a big chunk yardage play or an explosive play. So that's why empty formation, and I actually in my notes, Texas last season, when they ran empty formation against the three high, you're talking about upwards of a 40% first down touchdown rate out of empty formation. Talking about big explosive plays, you're talking about chunky yardage plays for Texas because I think it 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 may, it clears up the picture, brings clarity for the quarterback, and it gives him some more of the traditional indicators. Oh, they're in single high, or they're in zero coverage, whatever it may be. I also looked at the six O line package last season. Versus, sorry, go ahead. We're getting into that. Let's go. Let's go to Exhibit Three real quick. Matthew, give us a Exhibit Three. So here's empty versus the flyover the kansas state flyover and uh it's not only does it force them to declare like rod is saying but it also this and the next thing you're going to talk about it distorts their division of labor mm. it's like one of the things the flyover is really good at for these like smaller schools is it creates a cleaner division of labor for their players because like when you're in a four down and you're and you're facing an rpo spread team your linebacker is not just a linebacker anymore. He's like a box safety on one snap, and then he's a downhill plugging linebacker on the next. Hmm. And it's really hard to be both, right? When you spread them out, then like Austin Moore, their little like former wrestling champ weak side linebacker who's nails in the box. Now he's got to like turn and change his, flip his hips and run and change hmm. direction with receivers. Yeah. Space. It does not go well when he has to do that. Now you're like, now your downhill uh, safeties that are really good at like lining up deep and closing and tackling. Now they got, now they got to change direction. Now they got to carry receivers. Uh, they're decent at it actually at Kansas state. Some of them more than others. Yeah. But they're not, it's not as easy. It's not just, they don't know what you're, they actually know less about what you're doing than when they're in the flyover. Mm -hmm. Like when you have, when you present balance from like 11 personnel against the flyover, they know like we're going to take these things by alignment. They're going to yep. do this and we're going to jump on it. Yep. Agreed. When you spread them out, they may know you're going to throw, but 
the angles and everything are different and they have to navigate more space and optionality from the skill players. Yeah. And you make those, and that's what it's crazy enough. That's what Texas has to real advantage actually is that the skilled positions on the outside on the perimeter, they want, they want to try to funnel everything toward, you know, their, their front and inside. If you can get to the perimeter on this team and force them to play in space, you actually have the advantage Texas does. I think on, on both sides of the ball. Um, and one of the other things, I love why you said that divisional labor. I'm going to write that term down. I'm not, I'll give you credit, but I'm still in that one. I'm going to use that a lot. That's fantastic. Adam, Adam Smith, I think. I mean, oh, that is great. That's fantastic. Um, but, and one of the things I noticed just based on my notes, this is me, you know, tracking games and watching film. The six old line package actually has worked pretty well versus the flyover defenses last season i got texas averaging over six and a half yards per rush against the three against these the three high three down flyover defense when they were in the six o line package and then let's not forget when u of age broke it out they broke it out a lot right early and often versus texas remember texas first two touchdowns in that u of age game six o in the six o line package they were averaging over 17 yards per attempt in the first half throwing the football in the 6-0 line package versus them running the three high three down and averaging over nine yards per play and five yards per rush. Now, they didn't run it much in the second half. We talked about that. I have no idea why Sark stopped it. Who knows? Um, Sark's smarter than I am, so he'll, he, I'm sure he's got a good reason for it. But the point being, it still tracks. It, and I, and I, I think it's for the same reasons that, I don't know, the extreme nature of a 6-0 line package and how unorthodox and, and non-traditional it is somehow forces them out of their disguise and shell, makes it easier for the, the blocking assignments for the offense. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. So Matthew, go ahead and give us Exhibit 2. I've got Exhibit 2 here is the, is the 6-0 line package. I've got the, the jumbo tight end as a triangle. Yep, the Big 12, yep. <clears throat> the Big 12 package, so that's Malik Ogbo. They do it with Gunner Helm and JT Sanders, too, but... Yeah. They like Gunner Helm in it a lot. He He's in it more than JT, I think. Weirdly enough. Yeah. Well, you know, he's a hammer. Helm the hammer hand. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <clears throat> the, so those defensive ends that are like 245 pounds... When they're in like a three down against like a spread set, they can like dart in, they can dart out. Um, when they're inside and they're covered up, they can just kind of shoot a gap. And if they get knocked to the ground, it's okay because they're spilling the ball. Um, but when you get this, the sixth offensive lineman out there on the field, 
it becomes more of a problem that their ends are small because mm. now you can kind of blow them off the edge. Like they're not really built. Honestly, their ends are not built for double for playing double teams from tight ends and tackles. Yeah. And when the tight end is 294 pounds, it's even worse. That's what's and, and when you got another tight end, that's like helm or whoever lock. Sanders to some extent, but more so helm. And then he's maybe he's sliding around and he's picking a guy off on the edge. It causes big problems. So like Houston gave up and they just started playing four down when Texas did that. Cause they're like, we can't play. We can't play our three down flyover when Texas has six O linemen. We're just getting, mm. we're getting mauled. Yeah. Kansas state. I don't think that they can go to a four down because their defensive tackles are not very good. <clears throat> and it just, it kind of, and then their linebackers get more exposed, etc. Yeah. I think their solution last year and probably this year is just to walk down the safeties and just swarm. Um, Kansas mm. State got away. They did that last year and then TCU did it more and they got away with it because Texas had a lead, so they didn't want to be as aggressive. And also, Quinn Ewers could never hit Xavier Worthy deep last yeah. year. Yeah. It was like, as long as we check Worthy, hmm. then we can we can just bring the safeties down, swarm Bijan with eight or nine in the box. Maybe not before the snap, but by the time the ball is snapped, it's like eight or nine in the box, like in an yeah. instant. Um, but I don't know if you can do that with Adonai Mitchell on the field now, too. Mm-mm. So that's I. This is a big potential problem for Kansas State in this matchup. And we've talked mostly about all the ways that Kansas State is kind of a, a really hard matchup for Texas, but <clears throat> this is a really big problem for them. Which is if Texas gets big, and that same linebacker that's drawn on there, yep, Desmond Purnell is five foot eleven, two hundred twenty four pounds. Wow. When he's closing space and tackling, great. He's all, he's a pretty good linebacker. If you make him play down in the box, like up mm-hmm. up close, where he has to grapple with someone like Malik Ogbo. Yeah, take on blockers. No. Yeah. No. Very different story. Um, it, again, the division of labor is all, you got the guy that's in the assembly line and he's used to putting one part in one spot. <laughs> he's gone and he's got to he's got to run another part of the machine that he's never done. Um, yeah, I like that. Make them defend you left-handed, pretty much. Make them defend you with the weakest part of their skill set. I love that. That's 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 money. Okay, let me ask you one more thing before we move on to defense, real quick, because I know we're talking a lot about the offense. You know the flower as well as anybody that I uh, talk to about it as a football theorist. How would you attack? If you were K-State coming at, how'd you attack Malik Murphy, quarterback making his second start with the resources that K-State has available? Uh, I think I would mostly encourage Texas to run the ball. Hmm. Um, Trust my safeties to make tackles on Jonathan Brooks. If Jonathan Brooks breaks a couple like 25 plus yard scoring runs, then Kansas State is drawing dead, I think. Because you gotta, you need to be able to lean on your red zone defense to win this game if you're Kansas State. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. 
No explosive touchdowns. You can't give him up. You got it. You want to win on, you want to get turnovers on third down and you want to bow up in the red zone. You're not going to really stop Texas. I don't think Um, to do that would require a really aggressive strategy that I think just leaves them too exposed to Malik playing pitch and catch with Mitchell and worthy. Yeah. So I think like even in the six Oh line, I think they still have to present conservative and then just try and close and tackle really hard and hope play action doesn't burn them too bad. No, you're so, right about that. You're right about that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I want this game to come down to Malik Murphy making good identifications and good decisions on third downs and uh, Texas's ability to finally get over the hump and convert in the red zone. Man, that's a lot of hope and faith because we're past the midway point. Can we just admit they're bad in red zone offense? Or are we just we unwilling to admit they're bad in red zone offense? They're, they're not going to be, yeah. I mean, they could be better. They could be good for a game. Yeah. You're right. That's it's true. not. It's obviously not a strength. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're right. If you don't force Texas to play red zone defense, then you're a bad defense. I'm sorry, red zone offense, then you're a bad defensive coordinator. Period. That's that. If that's not your strategy, then you you need to be fired because. That's the toughest part of the offensive identity for Texas is once they're in the red zone, they just can't cash in. Um, okay, that's enough about the uh, Texas offense versus the dreaded, very scary. I know we celebrated Halloween, very scary. Ooh, three high, three down defense. Let's talk about something just as scary, Ian. Uh, that's the two-headed quarterback, the two-headed monster at quarterback for K-State. We know Will Howard. Sometimes he's Will the Thrill Howard. Sometimes he's Will Spill the Pill Howard. But now they have an insurance policy. If he is Will Spill the Pill, they got Avery Johnson now. He's the real deal. All right, Ian, I, I know you've watched this kid, man. He, he's fantastic. I love him as a runner. I talked to a K-State dude, told me today, he's the fastest guy on the offense? That's crazy. Somebody say he's the fastest guy on the offense. I don't believe that, but a K-State insider told me that. I think Chris Kleiman said that he was their fastest and it wasn't close. Wow. What? Uh, he's, he was a, I think he ran an electronic four, five, two. That's moving. That's, but... that's pretty fast. Now that, now I think this kind of tells you about Kansas state, right? <laughs> like this is kind of the deal with Kansas state is like, they get, that was like, like Bill Snyder. He'd have one four or five guy on his team. <laughs> My God, that was the guy with the ball all the time. You damn right. You damn right. <laughs> so, whatever. It, it amounts to the same. Like they may have may have had a lot of four seven and four eight, but those dudes were uh, complimentary. I remember them. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you know, I don't. I don't think Avery. We should just call him Little General or something because his name is Avery Johnson, right? Avery Johnson, yeah. <laughs> They're skinny general, maybe. Yeah. Uh, he uh, He's fast. He's extremely dangerous, hmm. and he can pull away. He's like 185 pounds. He's still not built for every down football. And uh, – Texas has a very clear philosophy on how to deal with quarterback run game, which is contain them and make them run between the tackles. And uh, I, I just don't think 
that's actually going to be that big of a problem. You know, famous last words. No, that's good because he doesn't like to run in between the tackles. He loves running on the edges. I would say 75 to 80 percent of his runs are maybe I'm talking about C gap, D gap. That's where he's trying to run the football. So I'm with you. That's a great point. And if you're right about that and you I would say, you know, I, I, you're right. I mean, Texas hasn't really had to worry about running quarterbacks as much. Now, here's the, here's the question. Are they going to run the option? Can Texas defend the option? I was talking to Derek Johnson about this earlier today, legendary lifetime Longhorn. And even he admitted, he was like, man, I hate defending the option because it puts me in a box. I'm no longer an elite player out there amongst other, you know, great players. I'm in a box. I got, I'm, I'm assignment football. I got one damn job I have to do. And you can just relegate me to doing that job. And I can do my job, but if somebody else doesn't do their job, then, the, you know, I mean, all for not. They're going to run the option, and Texas did not defend the option really well against Jason Bean, who's a speedster, by the way. He can move against Kansas. Do we, should we be concerned about the option if we're not going to be concerned about just the quarterback design runs overall? Yeah, I mean, they did okay. They had like a couple very notable screw-ups. Um, yeah. And uh, going into that game, they didn't know they were getting Jason Bean. That's true. That's fair. They they were worried about Jalen Daniels, who also does that, but he's not like he's Jason not Daniels bad. didn't run a 10 5 100 or whatever. <laughs> it's a different you know? speed. Yeah, I agree. With you. Yeah. Um <laughs> and it, and it wasn't like it was like something that Daniels did every now and then. So you wouldn't necessarily have like been all in on it. So I don't know. I I that doesn't super worry me. I know. But, it's, no it's, There's a K-State you know, fan clipping this right now, Ian, just so you know, and they're going <laughs> to – I will say this about Johnson, though. Like, you can't – I mean, he's being – if you screw up, yeah. he's gone. Exactly. Yeah, it takes one mistake or one missed tackle or something, and he is. He has that ability. I'm with you. That concerns me, but I like what you said about the design runs. He likes to run to the edge, and Texas isn't vulnerable there. Are you worried that Ethan, Ethan Burke won't be there as that stabilizing force? Is it possible to you just going to attack whoever's not there for Ethan Burke? I'm a little concerned about that because Ethan was, I mean, he was he was a, a pleasant surprise. That well, he wasn't a liability at the edge position, especially in the run game. Maybe, but I will say that Ethan Burke has, at least in two games, blown. No, I can remember like three or four times he's blown containment on zone yeah, read. That's true. I he wants. That. He just wants to go get he wants to go get it. And it's that's like, fair. no, nope, nope, don't do that. It's not how it's defense. <laughs> that's not your job. <laughs> um, so hey, Ian, you brought up something during the in-game live watch that I think we should bring up before we get out of here. Um, that I thought was interesting. And I don't know why the hell they introduced it versus uh BYU unless they were troubleshooting it potentially for the K-State game. The package they used a lot on third down, blitzed out of it a lot too. Uh, we were doing in-game live watch with our man E. Hogan, and you brought it up that you like that package. It's, An- it's Jalen Ford at linebacker, Anthony Hill at linebacker, Mo Blackwell now at linebacker because he's healthy. And on the D-line, if I'm not mistaken, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, and Baron Sorrell are the D-linemen. And then, they, of course, they got their five DBs. They blitzed a lot out of this package. But what I liked about it is it gives them so much malleability. They got a, They got two hybrids on the field, essentially. 
you and, and you can use one to be a I don't know a blitzer. You can be one to be a spy. It seemed like a package you to break out if you can force K State into a third and medium, third and long, be the per- perfect package for a K State game. I don't know. Is it, it you like that package too? How often do you remember seeing that package? Because we only had access to Mo Blackwell for lo- for so long. And do you think it could be effective versus K State? I mean, I think everybody wishes we'd seen it against Oklahoma, right? Yeah, man. And maybe that's why they broke it out. Um, so it's like Anthony Hill is he's he's like an edge in the package, but not all the time. Mm-hmm. Like. In one call in that package, he's on the edge. The next, he's an inside linebacker. But he's generally always coming after the quarterback or spying the quarterback. Yeah. Um, And so you just turn him into an attack piece. And then Blackwell becomes the will linebacker. And the thing with Blackwell is, like, uh, if you're, like, in man coverage, he's pretty good. He's fast. Yeah. Because he's – I mean, as a safety – um, he was not as great having to process things and, and chase, but when he's a linebacker and it's like, Hey, chase the running back out of the backfield or, or whatever. It's very, very in his wheelhouse. And something else I like about the package is that, um, you don't get as much of the deal against Houston where they're bringing five and then they got a guy tightly matching the running back. And then mm-hmm. you have nobody inside to help. Yeah, yeah, your whole player, th- your thread. Did you? <laughs> they did some of that again against BYU, um, and they just played with a little better leverage at safety. Yeah, but they also did a lot of just four man blitzes, and like we're going to uh, we're going to blitz uh, Anthony Hill or Jalen Ford. We're going to mug Anthony Hill up, but then he's going to drop, and we're going to bring Jalen Ford, who's also a very good blitzer. Yeah, and then we're going to still have a hook defender inside. And we'll be in man coverage on the running back. Just this, you're just a lot less. It's a lot less boomer bust. Yes, it's a lot less rigid, right? You got so you got more options. You got more solutions with when that package. Control, yeah, there's there's a lot they can do with it. So uh, and, and and I like what you said about Mo Blackwell. I'm glad you brought it up. They love their running backs in the passing game, and they got running backs that are perfect for the passing game. Giddens and uh, is it Ward? I believe is his name. They are, yeah, they can be really, they can be problems in space. And you don't want a bulky, nothing gets been to a bulky linebacker matched up in them one-on-one in space because that play can end up being a huge play. Mo Blackwell would work better. That's a that's a brilliant point. That's why my man Ian is uh, one of the most astute football theorists uh, out there going. So I, that, that's really good. I like that. Okay, so one last thing before we. Well, just um, on that real quick. What? If this game comes down to turnovers from the quarterback, like it looks on the surface, like Malik Murphy versus little general skinny general and uh, Will (laughs) Howard. You're like, this doesn't look good. Like those guys are one of them just runs the ball and the other one is a veteran and a big 12 champion. Um, But if your game plan is Malik handoff or Malik take shots down the field and then their game plan is um, Will Howard trying to suss out who's open inside with Ford mm-hmm. creeping around yeah, and, uh, and Taff over the top and Barron and Anthony Hill coming at you from unpredictable angles. Like that's not, you can, you can start to even things out. 
as Sark to where like, maybe you're not at such a big disadvantage and maybe the turnover breaks can go your way. Yeah, exactly. If you don't have the, the, this are the quarterback advantage. Interesting. You bring it up. I know we're not talking about quarterback now, but did you notice how Sark still threw it early? I think what four of the first five passes were throws. So either he's got confidence in his young quarterback or he's like, Hey man, I'm Sark. I ain't changing for y'all. Just <laughs> hey, it, it is what it is. I'm gonna throw to open up this run, just so y'all know. <laughs> I think he's like he's like the opposite of the defensive coordinator. Like the defensive coordinator head coach is like, we're gonna run the ball. And my defense <laughs> is gonna win the game. And yeah. It's like four to nine, and so he's like, well, throw the pass, and then the quarterback screws up, and he's like, that idiot. <laughs> Sark Sark knows what it's like to play quarterback. That's that's a great point, bro. You're right about that. That's a great point. That might you're right because as it maybe it's confidence in his quarterback, or maybe it's like he's vicariously kind of living through the quarterback. Like, like now, if I was the quarterback, I'm like, hey, let's open it up, baby. Let's go. I think you're right. I think you're right. Maybe that's why quarterbacks want to play for him though too. Man thinks like a quarterback. All right, a couple other nuggets before we get out of here. Do you think that they're gonna try to choke the clock and choke the game away? and just limit Texas offensive opportunities. When you think about what, hell, look at what BYU did last week, 10-minute drive. Remember Rice had one of them at the end of the game, took the whole damn fourth quarter. Wyoming essentially did that for the first three quarters. It is possible to choke the life out of the game versus Texas. Is that going to be part of the blueprint for K-State, in in your opinion? Yeah, I think that's kind of what they want to do anyways. Okay. Because I was looking at their film against uh, Houston and Tech and TCU. And I was like, how are these teams, why do they keep throwing the ball? What are they doing? Like, run the ball. (laughs) And uh, I I dove into it, and a lot of it was that Kansas State played a lot of keep away. Mm. Score early, and then those teams, like, freaked out and were trying to throw their way back into the game. Do picks. Yeah. So, um yeah, I think that's kind of their MO anyway. So I don't know why they would – seems like they they would probably change that. Also, um, playing in DKR, like we should say this real quick. DKR in a game like this is actually legitimately like a top-notch SEC environment. Hmm. <laughs> that's probably not your memory from playing. You think so? You know, know what I thought about when you said that? No joke. Remember Will Anderson said after the Bama, after the Texas Bama game that it was louder than any, like it was like the most one of the most intimidating environments he ever been in as an SEC player. That's what I thought about when you said, and I was like, I know that's weird. Is that kind of, I mean, are we getting there? Are we trying to become an SEC type environment? Because back when I played, that was not the reputation for Texas. I don't yeah. It was the tea sipping crowd. Don't stand up. Don't get loud. I mean, yeah, I know they want you to get loud, but from what I heard, hey, man, they didn't want people getting too crazy and rowdy. Now, is that, are we seeing that change a little bit? Is that I mean, they closed it in all the way around, and that makes a yeah. big difference. That like, was, you're right. That Trevor Knight had this amazing quote once about playing, because he played for Oklahoma and then he played for AM. And he was like, the biggest difference from the Big 12 to the SEC is that in the SEC, when you're on the road, you're closed in and you feel like, like you you're might surrounded. die. Like you're surrounded. And like there's yeah. no way. Um, yeah, you're right. Because we didn't have it closed in when I played at DKR. 
it yeah. was open still. But I, I was a, so I was a student from uh, 05 to uh, summer of 09. And um, there were a couple games that I was president and there's a couple games that have happened since like, so I was there when they beat up Chase Daniel in Missouri. Oh yeah. I remember that night game, right? Yeah. Was that night game? Yeah. yeah. And it was yeah. like, yeah, that was an atmosphere. It was electric. So I, 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 I do think Kansas state is going to get that. Unless yeah, the team is so good. Too. They can score early and play keep away and just take the air out of everything. And you know what, Ian? Honestly, Sark doesn't like that. That makes Sark anxious. Sark, whether you like it or not, Longer fans, the crowd matters to Sark. It does. He's he's actually even admitted it that he wants to get the crowd excited on their feet. Some of the plays he calls sometimes is like, man, these fans look bored. Now let me get them on their feet. Watch, watch this. Watch this. <laughs> <laughs> That's Cole Stevens sometimes. So you're right about that. Cole, he, he, it makes him anxious to have a game where he's just handing off the ball 40 times. That is not – sorry. Okay, last thing. So we're on that note. I think it's a great way to end it. This is a matchup of two top three third down teams. K-State's a, the third best third down offense, I believe, in the country. Texas is the third – Third bet, third third down defense in the country. Third best third down defense in the country. Uh, what's going to give? Who's going to win that that showdown between that face off between the best, the third best down defense in the country and the third third best down the third best third down offense in the country? I know that's hard to say five times fast. I apologize. <laughs> I think Texas wins that. Yeah, because Kansas um, State. They have a really, really good offensive line. And they've just been mauling people. Cooper Beebe is probably the best offensive lineman Texas played this year. It will be the best, depending how the postseason goes. Um, there's nobody else better on the schedule coming up. And they, they run the quarterback. They have they're very well, they're smart, well schemed. On a normal week, there's not a 350-pound early round draft pick lined up across from them. And yeah. a typical week, there's not Jalen Ford. There's not Jade Barron. There's not, you know, Byron Murphy, Anthony Hill. Like it's a very different level of athlete than they're used to facing. And they're going to be facing in, in noon, right? They're going to be, but they're going to be facing them. Yeah. High noon DKR, the crowd behind them. Um, I thought, so going into the Penn State-Ohio State game, I had this long thing on the Substack where I was like, you know, Penn State, awesome in the red zone, awesome on third down. They got all these big, reliable tight ends. They got all these different schemes and ways to convert in short yardage. It's really impressive. And then they went one for 16 against Ohio State. <laughs> was, and I was like, they're not explosive, but they're good on third down, and they're good in the red zone. And what happens is, that's because they weren't a very good explosive offense. They were just good at muscling you out in the right situations. Yeah. Situational football. But then when they played a team that had elite athletes, you're talking about slim margins and that margin was gone. And then they just had nothing. Yeah. So I, I am like 50, 50 on this game's outcome right now. Me too. But I would not at all be shocked if Texas shut down the Kansas State offense. Like, my, my concern for Texas in this game is something like the TCU game last year, where it's like, 
you know, they lost 17 to 10. They scored seven points on defense. They could not do anything on offense and Quinn threw the game away through, you know, ineffectiveness. You don't know if you yeah. turn the ball over. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. And they scored. Cause like, you know, their running back got loose once for a big play. And they had that, that long deep touchdown with Quinn Johnston. Yeah. Yeah. yeah on the coverage bus. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I think this game is going to be close. I think it, it will probably be low scoring. And then we'll see if uh, we'll see if Sark can scheme things up for Malik or, you know, maybe we'll get a surprise showing from a different quarterback. Yeah, that's a big game for Sark. Uh, this is one of those games where he's got to outcoach a really good coach. He's done it before. So we know he can do it. He did it in 2021. He did it in 2022. He's got out coach a really good coach, but he's got to do it now with a backup quarterback. That's a little bit different. That's a different challenge altogether. But like I said, in 2021, he did it with basically no quarterback. Brandon, he did Brandon Wildcat. So, Sark, I know you got it in you. Uh, let's see if he can pull out the dub. All right. Uh, that's enough of football theory for this week. Ian, thanks for the time, brother. You're always great, and I appreciate you. Yeah, it was always a blast. Always a blast. All right, we'll do it again next week, folks. So please join us for another edition of Football Theory right here on On Texas Football. Uh, for uh, my man, Ian Boyd, he's a lifetime Longhorn. So am I, Rod Babers, Hooker.